window of opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 7, Episode 5, Revisions. Guess what? What? I actually, I have no idea why, but I remembered this one. (gasps) Oh, yay! We started watching it, and, you know, it was definitely one of those things where the more, like, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, and this happens, and oh, yeah, and this happens, and... I, I don't know. I have no idea what made this one stick in my brain, but it did. Because it's a good episode. That's why. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I will agree with you because I kind of liked it. Okay. I like this one a lot. This is definitely like, this isn't my, like my top half of season seven for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know like how high up it goes in like the top half, but it's, yeah. <laughs> this one's up there. <laughs> If you had to cut the season in half, this one would be safe? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, it is also kind of off by itself, so. Yes. So there's that. Yeah. It's it's something, um, spoiler, Michael Shanks is on the commentary. He talked about how he he really likes these sort of one-off bottle episodes as opposed to the ones that deal with so much mythology, you have to try and remember what's been happening for the last like six years and, Oh, this is feeding into this and whatever. It's like, this is just, this is its own story. This is its own thing that's happening. And you get to just do like this thing without having to worry about anything else that has come before this. Yeah. I tend to like those as well, especially as the seasons go on because the other stuff is when we notice Things that are inconsistent. Yes. So having just the independent stories like this, you just kind of just get to enjoy the story or not enjoy the story according to your leisure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So before we start this week, though, hey, Rachel. (gasps) What? Happy anniversary. What anniversary? Three years this weekend. Get out. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Our first episode was... February of 2021. That's so fun. I'm still having fun. Are you still having fun? I am still having fun, yes. Okay, so we should keep doing this for a little while. I think we should, yes. (laughs) That's neat. I didn't even realize that. That's cool. Yep. Yay. Yay, us. Yay. And to anyone who's actually been listening to us for that long, way to go you. And I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. And our apologies, (laughs) yes. (laughs) <laughs> and also I've gotten a few messages from people recently about you found us recently but gone back and listened to their our whole like past catalog thank you that's amazing I can't believe people actually do that but thank you we appreciate you thanks yeah that's kind of that's kind of a miracle that it is <laughs> that people still find us entertaining <laughs> yes especially Yay. after that first episode which wasn't the best no, it took a while for us to find our stride, but we got it. We got we there. We did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, cheers to you, Rachel. Cheers to you, Carrie. All right. So should we get into it? Do it. Okay. So this episode originally aired on July 11th, 2003. It was written by Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully and directed by Martin Wood. And on the commentary, we have Martin Wood, Jim Menard, and da-da-da-da, Michael Shanks. 
So in this episode, the team encounters a planet with a society that has lived for centuries within a computer-controlled environment within a bubble. Outside the rest of the world is a toxic wasteland. SG-1 offer the inhabitants relocation, but they are strangely, strangely reluctant to move when everything they need is provided to them via their link to the computer core. I have, okay, this question just popped into my head and it might get okay. addressed later, but I don't know. Do they ever address where their food comes from? Vaguely. Yeah. Um, not specifically, but... Uh, sort of after SG-1's been invited to stay when Sam and Daniel are with Palin and Ivala, Ivala kind of references, yes, we grow all our own food here. Everything is provided for us. Okay. And that's sort of as specific as it gets. Okay. So they do have some sort of farmland. Yeah, or like greenhouses possibly. Yeah. If not necessarily actual like soil farmland stuff. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So we start up in the control room at the SGC and there's an active wormhole with Sam looking at some MALP images when Daniel comes in. The readings from this planet that the MALP is on show that the atmosphere is, as Sam says, completely toxic. There does seem to be some kind of like dome not far off. And Daniel states, you know, if there's a gate, then at some point there must have been life there. So they start to move the MALP closer and as they reach the dome, it seems like it's made of like TV static, like the images that we're sort of seeing on the map camera are very just like staticky. It's also a very big, it's over a mile wide and more than like five football fields high. So they stop the map just outside the dome. They extend the little like grabber arm that the map has and it basically just passes straight through whatever this dome is made of. They then push the whole map through and we very briefly see a very like lush green park with a pond, clear blue skies, there's trees, and then the image cuts out. They've lost contact with the map. And like, that's very interesting. Like how was that, whatever was inside this dome when the outside of the dome is not that like, it's very strange and interesting. And then we cut to the opening credits. I thought, like, we comment all the time on how they are not as open-minded as they should be, given all of the things that they've seen in six years of the Stargate program. I don't know how immediately they were just like, oh, look at that, a biodome. That's so cool. Instead of like, oh, that's impossible. How is that happening? A bit. A bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we come back from the opening credits and SG-1 are now on that planet in full hazmat suits. And according to the commentary, that's not the main cast in the hazmat oh. suits. Like, because that's all a set like on stage. So it's basically all of their stand-ins because because of Rick's uh, condensed shooting schedule, they were probably actually filming actual SG-1 somewhere else like at the same time. Oh, that's funny. So. That's not actually like Rick and Amanda and Chris and Michael in the hazmat suits. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Sam estimates they have a good 12 hours before the suits start taking any damage from this toxic atmosphere. And that's plenty of time because the dome's really not that far away. They're walking through this like foggy atmosphere. And as they get closer to the dome, they can actually start feeling some kind of like static electricity charge. And once they sort of reach the edge, Jack's like, "We like, are you sure we can just like go through it?" And Sam's like, 
I, Sam's like, as sure as she can be, it should be fun because the map went through with no problems. So Jack kind of like sticks his gun through and pulls it back out and everything seems fine. So Jack then goes through first and he then enters the dome and we see it's that same beautiful green park that we saw earlier on the map. He looks over the side, the map is there. He looks back, but like behind him and there's like no evidence of anything like outside the dome. It, it looks like this park that they're in extends like for miles. It's just green, lush landscape as far as he can see. And then the rest of SG-1 step through sort of seemingly out of nowhere. So this, like whatever this technology is, is like really cool. Yeah. 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 I would like to know what that is. Me too. Yeah. On the inside, the atmosphere is totally clean, breathable, and their suits are also totally clean of any like toxins or poisons that may have clung to them. We see Daniel and Sam kind of like poke back through and Daniel's like, I feel some kind of resistance. And Sam's like, maybe, you know, that plus this like static tingle is maybe some kind of warning so people don't accidentally step through and die. Good call. Yeah, not yet. Not bad. So they take off their hoods, breathe the air, everything's fine. Tilt takes a look at the map and it's still fully functional. So there just must be something about this barrier that the dome is made of that's just blocking the signal. Sam, of course, is totally intrigued by the technology of this dome, what it's made of, and there's suddenly the sound of a twig snapping. Jack goes to investigate. Turns out it's just a little boy. So Jack lowers his gun. You know, they do a little back and forth, and we learn that this little boy is Nevin, and he's like, you guys came from outside, and you have really weird clothes on. And, like, this, yes, this, we little, do. Boy, this little boy is, like, adorable. Oh, my God. He's the cutest thing. Um, Sam asks about his parents, and he says his dad is back in the town. And Dan is like, could you take us? Like, we just want to talk, but could you take us home? And Nevin's like, maybe if we trade. Hmm. I... Before the scene switched, I tried to imagine to myself what he would trade for. I did not come up with the hazmat suit. <laughs> so we cut to Nevin wearing the hazmat suit and Jack's baseball cap that was somewhere on his person as he leads SG-1 through the town. And, I mean, this place is quite lovely, really. There's, like, cobblestone streets. There's flowers everywhere. People are sitting at tables around the square. Nevin leads them over to his father, who looks to be running some sort of, like, fruit and vegetable cart, and his father is named Kendrick. And we also see that everybody here has some kind of metallic object, like, on their temple, some kind of technology. What it is, we don't know, but there's something there. And when Nevin says he found them in the garden, Kendrick remarks that he thought they were the only survivors. And they're like, SG-1's like, survivors? Like, of what? So Kendrick then suggests that they should talk to the council. I don't know why, but I found it very strange seeing all of the brick buildings. It was a very interesting set choice. Yes. And I will say one of the things in the commentary that Martin talked about a lot was he really purposefully leaned into the creepy aspect of this episode, like these people being controlled by the computer and the environment is really specific and kind of creepy. And even when they were talking about doing like the music for this episode, leaning into the sort of creepy nature of things to kind of build the sort of something's not quite right 
here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this I came across. Yeah. I will say, so the village that's there is not a set. It's an actual location. Oh. Yeah. It's called the Fantasy Gardens. Uh, it's no longer there, but it was an amusement park in Richmond, British Columbia, which is sort of like just outside Vancouver. And it was basically like this sort of not quite medieval, but sort of historical British kind of village vibe. Like a lot of TV shows have filmed there. Um, for me, the other reference that immediately comes to mind is the monster movie episode of Supernatural that was in black and white. That had, like, Dracula, or, like, this shapeshifter guy who was pretending to be Dracula. Oh. Played by Todd Stashwick in it. The whole amusement park, it is now, I believe it's actually been torn down now. Like, it's not just defunct, it's actually been torn down. Which is sad, but... That is sad. That's too bad. Yes. Yeah. For some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason in this episode, my brain went, when Kendrick said, you should talk to the council, my brain went... Why is it always a council? Like in sci-fi, like foreign planets, it's always like a council is the ruling body. As opposed to? Like a parliament, a senate. I just, I I don't know why it it always defaults to like council. I, you know, I feel like that might be because in sci-fi shows, unless it's something epic, the the society is never that big. Well, that's true. Yeah, council does imply like small. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more of an intimate governing body than right than a whole senate or a something. Yeah, because there's like the galactic senate in Star Wars, but that's galactic. Yeah. So I I guess yeah I guess that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's one of those weird things your brain latches onto something sometimes. It's like, why that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And or or the the leader of the society is just like the one dude that's, you know, like everybody's dad that everyone was just like, Oh my god, I listen to everything you say, you should lead us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like these people actually have like elections. Mm-hmm based on what they say later so that's interesting it's not just like or you know, do they do I they mean, just think they do that's, that's <laughs> true oh 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 i had not thought of that yeah <gasps> do they just think they do that's fascinating we'll get to <laughs> we'll get yeah we'll get to, we'll get there we'll get there okay yep. all right okay so we're in the council room and we see there's a woman and three men sitting at this like table in front of SG-1. Uh, the room is also like packed with townspeople and those that apparently couldn't fit in the room are standing outside, like just pressed up against the windows to see what the hell's going on. So SG-1 do the explaining thing of, you come from another planet. The protective suits protected us from the environment outside the dome. No, they didn't come in a ship. They came through the Stargate. Nobody there is familiar with that term Stargate. So Daniel ex- kind of explains what it is. And he's like, you must have some record of it somewhere. It's a fairly important thing. One of the men is like, hold on a moment and touches a device that's on his temple. And all of the locals like freeze and kind of space out for a minute, which is again, really weird and creepy. And once they come out of this trance, they seem to know 
everything that they didn't know moments ago. They call the Stargate the Gate of Magmar, and it was discovered 463 years ago, was likely significant in the worship of Morgan, and it was moved from what they call the Ruins of Danan to their history museum. I have so many fun facts about that, like, two sentences that they said. (laughs) (laughs) All right, go for it. Would you like all of my stuff? Okay, here we go. Okay. So Morgan, we very briefly talked about because she was seen in Summit in season five as one of the system lords that was voting on whether or not to let Anubis return to their rank. She was like that redheaded ghouled with like that very awesome like black like yeah, okay. thing. Anyway, so Morgan is from Irish mythology and her name translates as Great Queen or Phantom Queen. One source I found actually has her name translated literally as Mare Queen, like Horse Mare. Oh. Um, She's mostly associated with war and fate, and especially the foretelling of death or victory in battle in the form of a crow or raven. She was also generally a shapeshifter and could take the form of any living creature. She would have also been an instigator in war, raising like great frenzy in battle. And then at the end, she would have been the harbinger of death. She's also been noted as the manifestation of the sovereignty goddess in the sense of being the guardian of a territory and its people. In mythological texts, she is mostly, she's really noted as like the Morrigan and is often described as a trio of sisters named Babd, Masha, and either then Anad or Morrigan. So they're sort of like this collection of three goddesses that are known collectively as the Morrigan, one of whom may also be named Morrigan. (laughs) Um, But that claim is like, as as one of the sources says, ambiguous and inconsistent. And may have likely been due to the Celtic significance of the number three. So either Morrigan is the collective name for three goddesses or Morrigan is an individual goddess in her own right. If you go with the their sort of three goddesses, they are then the sisters of the three land goddesses, Eriu, Banba, and Fodla. Morrigan is also the wife of the Dagda, who is a god of fertility, agriculture, manliness, and strength. Uh, is the god of manliness? Manliness and strength. <laughs> so uh, he's often compared to like <laughs> he's often compared to like Odin as far as his like importance in Celtic mythology. Okay. The coupling of The Dagda and Morgan was very important to the Samhain festival, which marked the beginning of the Celtic New Year. And if they especially if they can't figure out if it's one or three people, (laughs) and it's like if they had a successful coupling, then you know crops would be bountiful, kind of thing. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Depending on whether or not it was one or three people. Right. (laughs) Um. Then in later mythologies, Morrigan is also associated with, like, the Banshee. Ah. Okay. Okay. So moving on to Magmar, which is, um, that's, like, they call it the Gate of Magmar. Uh, I found if, so when I searched Magmar, the first thing that came up is there's, like, a Hindu month called Mag. And I'm like, I don't think that works. So I put, like, 
Celtic mythology in there. And I found there's this thing in Celtic mythology called Magmel, which I think works. Go with me. Just go with me on this. Okay. Okay. So Magmel means delightful plain, which is the name for the Celtic otherworld, which could be reached through death or glory. Unlike most mythological underworlds, Magmel is a paradise that's often described as an island to the far west of Ireland or a kingdom found beneath the ocean. It's it's kind of like Elysium in Greek mythology or Valhalla in Norse mythology. Okay. Like a paradise and stuff. The interesting thing is that Magmel is never said to be an afterlife. Oh. In most accounts, it's an island that's populated by various gods and goddesses, which some adventurous mortals just, like, get to visit because they're awesome. Uh, To paraphrase Miles Dillon in his book Early Irish Literature, it can be described as such. This other world is a place where sickness and death do not exist. It is a place of eternal youth and beauty. Here, music, strength, life, and all pleasurable, pleasurable pursuits come together in a single place. Here, happiness lasts forever, and no one wants for food or drink. Ooh, that sounds nice. Magmel is said to be ruled by the Fomorian king, Tethra. All right, moving on to Dinan, because Magmar was found in the ruins of Dinan. Okay. Okay. Just This is all going to come together. Uh-huh. Okay. Come together. Okay. Okay. So Danan, I think, could be a reference to the Tuatha de Danan, a supernatural race of beings in Irish mythology. These are kings, queens, warriors, healers, and craftsmen who happen to have supernatural powers. They dwell in the other world, but interact with humanity. They're often associated with ancient burial mounds, which were believed to be entrances to the other world. Their main enemy are the Fomorians. Their king Tethra ruled the other world. Uh, the, Fomor- the Fomorians are a hostile and monstrous race of su- supernatural beings who are said to have come from under the sea or under the earth and are often noted to be the personification of chaos, darkness, death, and drought. Morrigan is said to be one of the Tuatha de Danann. The Tuathidae are immune from aging and sickness and have control over the weather and elements with shape-shifting powers. They also control the fertility of the land. Some medieval Christian texts written about the Tuathidae sometimes refer to them as fallen angels, neither entirely good nor evil, and they eventually became the fairies of later Celtic mythologies. Right. So there you go. I mean... I feel like I got like a third of that, but it was great. <laughs> Thanks. Like once I, once I started Googling this, I was like, oh, wait, what? Yes. What? So, who? There you go. I no very much appreciate your efforts, but yeah, I think, I think I got about a third of that. Well, then once we're done and I release this, you can just then listen to it and tell me and listen Twice more, and observe it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get, I'll get it a third at a time and then I'll yep. be like that was amazing your research skills are unparalleled I mean you should be saying that because they really are <laughs> well at least I think it every time okay well thanks yeah okay so to get, to get back to the episode as she won our one comment I had yes. was okay. when uh everybody mysteriously gets all the knowledge they make the comment that the Stargate was supposed to be in some sort of museum, yes? 
Yes. Outside the bubble. It's, well, as we later learn, the bubble was much larger than it currently is. Well, right. But it, it's interesting that people initially just think so casually about that. of Like, oh, it's in the museum that we don't have anymore. Oops. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought that was weird. Yeah, nobody's like, where's that museum? Yeah. Because the museum obviously doesn't exist anymore. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. Well, I mean, the the link could be telling them that it was destroyed however long ago, you know? But it they could the, the link could be telling them the museum was always outside the dome. Maybe. Maybe. You but know? then you would think they'd be like, oh, from the destroyed museum. I just thought it was weird that they, they very casually was like, oh, it's in the museum. That's clearly outside the bubble. And they didn't really have any sort of reaction to that. Yeah. And that the museum might de- be destroyed, but the Stargate apparently is not. Yeah. Because it was just used. Right. That is interesting, yes. What else is in the museum? Yes. I, wanted to I will I will say Martin Wood actually kind of touched on this because at one point Jim Bernard was like, what does this thing mean? And Martin Wood went on this, not really a rant, but he was like, there were times when Martin Wood would show up at like Stargate conventions and he started going listening about like people ask you all these questions about like the background and why this and why that. And it's just like, you don't because know. TV, you yeah. know, like we've said so many times, like we've said so many times. So while he may have been aware podcasts will exist, he was aware conventions exist and people ask very similar questions in both of those environments. And it's like, yeah, because TV. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so SG-1 are obviously quite confused about what's going on and how they suddenly have all this knowledge that they didn't have mere moments ago. And so this device that they have is what they call a neural interface with their like math database. Uh, One of the council members like takes it off his temple and holds it out and is like, here, it's fine. And "Eh." And the woman that's there explains this link like so. The link contains the sum total of our knowledge and wisdom, all our history, our our culture, our science, everything and they can pull up any information they need whenever they need it so that's fascinating indeed uh tilk and jack are back in the garden by the mouth and tilk goes to maneuver the mouth so like part of it is outside the dome because they've apparently realized that there's just something blocking the radio signal so as far as long as the part of the mouth that's like the receiver is outside the dome, they should be able to contact the SGC without any problems. Mm-hmm. And back at the SGC, it's time for their scheduled check-in. What? Which is not like an hour after they left, like it should be. <laughs> but it's, I don't think it's that long, though. It's no. maybe two hours? Yeah, maybe. We don't know how long it took them to get there. Yeah. But yeah, I think Jack said it took them, it would take like an hour to reach the dome. Nice. So I, I I don't think it's like a day. It's it's definitely not like a day later, at least, okay. <laughs> like has happened well, before. Good. Uh, so uh, Walter Norman Herman Davis dials up the gates. The mouth connects. 
Jack comes through on the camera with Rick doing his thing of being like way too close to the camera than he actually needs to be because mm-hmm. it's funny because why not? Uh, so f- <laughs> because comedy TV comedy. Uh, so far, think things are going okay. The people are a little weird, maybe, but like not hostile. And like, yes, the dome is inhabited. Sam's going to get shown all of the fancy tech stuff tomorrow, and the people of our have offered to house SG-1 overnight. And Hammond's like, great, sounds good. We'll be in touch tomorrow. Jack and Tilk are staying with Kendrick and Nevin, and dinner looks to be, I, I don't know, some kind of like stew or salad, maybe. Like, I thought it was a stew, but then the closer camera angle said it looked like there was lettuce in there. I don't know. There's Nothing. something in a bowl that Jack doesn't really like, so he, like, trades for Tilk's bowl. Because why not? Again, comedy. comedy. <laughs> comedy. Like uh, so many things in this episode, because comedy. comedy. Uh, Nevin is being a sort of typical inquisitive child. Asks Jack, asks Jack about how many planets he's been to. Is like, is it more than ten? More than twenty? More than fifty? And Jack's like, is it too late to pitch a tent? Ah. Sam and Daniel are in the home of Palin, played by the amazing Christopher Heyerdahl and Ivala, who you may I... recognize. Oh. How? She was, uh, that episode Touchstone, she was the priestess on that planet that the rogue NID stole stole that, like, weather device from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did Mm -hmm. look familiar. But the other guy is our favorite sci-fi actor from, like, every single sci-fi TV show ever in the history of things. Yes. Um, You name anything sci-fi, he's been in it. He's awesome. Um, I was one time I was at the convention he was at. It was the Stargate Con. And for some reason, he decided to just like come down off the stage and like go over to the people at the microphones asking him the question and like lean his arm like on my shoulder. And I'm like, oh, my God, hi. (laughs) You're so close to me. You're so close and actually taller than me. It's why I actually have to look up at you. This is weird. Um, Yeah. But anyway. It was like, hi. Pretty in real life. He's fantastic. He's lovely. And one interesting thing in the commentary is Michael Shanks mentioned he because he mentioned like like audition tapes for other people. So apparently he'd saw he'd seen auditions for other people who maybe had a better like emotional connection to what was going on. But once they got actually on set and started filming, he realized, oh, this is the creepy thing. Like Christopher Heyerdahl and the actress who plays Zavala, whose name I'm forgetting, they both are able to evoke a just slightly off. Like it's not yeah. obvious, but there's just there's something little off about what's happening with these people on this planet mm-hmm. yeah. that. They, like, Yval is, like, always, like, oh, everything's fine, and it's great, and happy, and plucky, and yay, mm-hmm. it's great, everything's fine, and there's a bit later where Martin's, like, apparently Christopher Heyerdahl has this way of just, like, stopping talking and just, like, staring at you that is, like, very disconcerting, mm-hmm. <laughs> and at one point, Amanda had to ask him to please not do that, because she <laughs> couldn't get the line. Please Because it was it. too much. It was too much. <laughs> Um, okay, so my other, like, really awesome fun fact is, so the name Palin didn't get the red, the red squiggle of doom 
in Microsoft <gasps> Word. Oh, okay. Palin is a surname, like a last name, that can be dated back to the Norman conquest of England in 1066 AD. What? Okay, so yes. they definitely went for Irish-English mythology yes. in this episode. Yes. Um, but there was, when I found this page that, like, had this whole, like, dissertation about the name Palin, uh, it sort of started out as, like, Paulette, but probably, like, Paulet, because it was, like, it came over from France, because from the Normans, you know, coming over mm-hmm. to England. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a reference stating that the name is descended from the Norman house of uh, Downou, with an ancestor named in, like, 900 A.D., This name, like, goes way back. Uh, Also, some of the first North American settlers have the the name Palin or one of its variants because of how spelling worked way back in, like, medieval, in, like, Old English and Mid-English times. Alrighty. Uh, I also found the motto of the Palin family. Oh. Love and loyalty. This isn't, like, Sarah Palin, is it? No, no. Okay. Different spelling. Okay. No, definitely okay. not that. No. All right. <laughs> of all the variants, that spelling is not among them. No. All right. Good. Okay. So that there you go. We would have so, made it weird. A little bit, yes. So yeah, just when I saw that, I was like, "This name is old," and was like fascinated. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So these people there sort of talk about the more like technical aspects of this place and how they seem to have no issues growing food. Again, they have everything they need provided. Uh, The power for the dome comes from geothermal vents, and Palin is actually one of the technicians that's responsible for for the care and maintenance of the generators. He will gladly show Sam tomorrow everything. And Daniel comments sort of about the disconnect between the architecture and the level of technology required to maintain the dome. Ivala explains that it was technology that led to their downfall and the poisoning of the water and the air and everything. People were dying, and so those that survived chose to simplify in order to survive. Daniel mentions the environmental issues that are happening on Earth, and maybe if he can learn more about what actually happened here, they might be able to to prevent the same thing from happening on Earth. Ivala then removes her Neuralink and offers it to Daniel as the easiest way to learn about what happened. He's quite... He's... He's quite hesitant, even if she insists it's safe, and Sam then points out that they can't even really be sure that their brain physiology is similar enough to be able to use it. Maybe later. Like, not right now. Thanks, but not right now. Yeah, that was a a good backup she had. Yes. We then cut over to the home of the woman that was on the council earlier. It's like the middle of the night. She wakes up, and we see the lights on her neural link are flashing. She, like, gets up out of bed, pulls out a suitcase, and we then see her walking through the town square, dressed and carrying that suitcase. The camera follows her as she walks through the town and just straight out of the dome. Boo. Why? What is happening? Why? When Jack wakes up the next morning, Nevin has his hazmat hood on and is, like, right in Jack's face. And this whole scene is adorable, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And they're in the commentary, like they talk about this and how these this actor, I think Liam was his name, 
like really loved getting to do this really like close up thing to the camera that like Jack had done earlier back to the SGC, but mm-hmm. they're like like Unky Rick did. Yeah. I was Aww. like, oh my god, no. Stop it. No. No, that's too cute. Stop. Yeah. Anyway. Um so Kendrick, his father's like, it's time for school, and he asks his dad if he can be an explorer when he grows up. Oh. It's just it's so it's so cute. It's so cute. But also Jack's intonation of hello Nevin is like hello Newman. Yes, it's very <laughs> it's Seinfeld. Very much. Yes. It was very much done on purpose. Oh yes, absolutely, yes. We then see Sam walking through the town with Palin, and he asks her what it's like outside the dome, as no one has been out there for over 400 years. He's like, it's not, not so great. No, not really. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then says that the Neuralink has shown him images of large buildings of steel and glass. And for me, I'm like, oh, that like it's not just knowledge. It's actually like images and pictures of things, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, he then leads her to what looks like the mouth of, like, an alley, but is, in fact, the edge of the dome. And, like, this whole thing is fascinating. And Sam's like, oh, my God, show me everything. So Palin leads Sam down into the control room to see how it all works. And as much as there is sort of a lack of technology above ground, there's plenty of it down in the control room. Yep. Yay. And Michael mentioned this in the commentary, but I love it too. So this control room is a set like on a sound stage, independent of like the town location set. But I really love how in the, the stairway down, there's still like that red brick at the top of the stairs. Yeah. Before it's yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like their set designers are so good. They're so good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back up above ground, Ivala has taken Daniel to their library, and, like, it's a bit dusty, but, you know, if it's potentially not safe for him to use the Snurling, then these books and records are his only option to figure out what happened. Daniel, like, looks at some of the books, says the writing looks familiar, and with Ivala's help, he will work on translating it. Yay. Do, oh, did they mention if they can read the books? Uh, do they? Like the locals? Yeah. I mean, I believe so. Okay. Yeah, because Daniel's going to work with Ivala to translate what he can't read himself. Yeah. Even though she says, we don't really need to read anymore, it seems like they still at least have the knowledge of what their language is. Mm. Back down in the control room, Palin is explaining the various displays to Sam when he heads off to check on something else. And as Sam is looking over everything, the three main screens suddenly go black and what looks like computer code starts scrolling through them. Sam calls to Palin, but he's just standing there with his back to her and not moving. And then also back up in the library, Daniel walks over to Avala to ask her about one of the texts that he's reading, but she's just sitting in the chair, kind of staring off at the space and not moving. And it's it's kind of like what happened the night before when the council pulled up the information about the Stargate. Yeah. They then just snap out of it and seem to have no idea that anything has happened, which is interesting. And, and yes. And like when Palin heads back over to Sam and she tells him what he saw, he's like, that's not possible. Okay. Um, except no. Mm-hmm. 
SG-1 all meet back up in the park and Sam tells them that Palin is working on an interface for her to be able to download some of the specs of the dome and their technology. And they, these people seemingly want nothing in return, which Jack does not understand because yes, why, like, why would you not want something the tiniest thing? I don't Food? I don't know. Something? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's very rare, very strange. Yes. And Sam brings up that they could at least offer relocation. And Jack's like, sure, why not? Yeah. So they go to meet back with the council, which is now only the three men. And they mention the possibility of relocation. And they're like, yeah, we're fine. And then she one's like, but fresh fresh air? Real sky? Mountains? Trees? Nature? Yeah. And they're like, we have the link for all that stuff. And Jack's like, what about the townspeople? Maybe they want something else. But the council speaks for the town, and they are unanimous in their decision. Then SG-1's like, what about the woman from last night? And the council's like, what woman? There's no woman on the council. There hasn't been a woman on the council in two years since the last election. Also, the council has always only had three members. SG-1's just like... Also, the council never actually had elections. I, but d- did they? Who? Right. Now that you have said that, I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they did. I think the link just kind of assigned people with like, you are this now, and then told everybody else you voted for this person. Yeah. Yeah. And but SG one. Oh. But SG one's like, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. What's going on? So. Back out in the square, Sam kind of comes back, and she's apparently gone to confirm with Palin that the council has always had three members. Okay, so something's going on. Something is not right here. Could it maybe have something to do with this neural link? And, you know, if it can basically implant information at will, could it also alter their memories? Uh, Tilk brings up the possibility that the woman that was on the council maybe didn't agree with some of the decisions the council made. So, as Daniel says, so they erased her from existence? Maybe. Which, yeah. But, like, whatever's going on, these people, they kind, they kind of can't be trusted right now. Even if this isn't malicious, there's just, these people are being lied to somehow. Something's going wrong. Something's So, me. Yes. Sam wants to go back to study this technology more, and Daniel wants to head back to the archive. So, all right, go do your thing. Yep. Daniel's poking around when Ivala comes back in, and what Daniel's looking for right now is records of when the dome was first built. And Ivala explains that the link was already up and running at that point, so there might not be much in the way of, like, written records from that time. He then brings up to her this relocation idea, and she also doesn't see any need to do that. And he's like, okay, fine. But living inside this dome, which is a very restricted space, like, how do you deal with that? Because population growth and everything. And so she explains that everybody is limited to having two children. And so far, nobody has broken that. And the current total population is 1,373. Right. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Sure. So Sam and Palin have got the interface working. And Sam mentions that maybe Palin and Avala can come to Earth for a little visit. 
And he's like, are there oceans? She's like, there's oceans and rainforests and deserts and all of this stuff that would take you a whole lifetime to see. And he's like, that sounds lovely. Sign me up. Yeah, he's like, I think he's sort of maybe more at least pro-visit, if not pro-permanent relocation. He's open to seeing what else is out there. Which is interesting because we talk about so much how they never let Jonas out of the base. <laughs> right? Right? And I mean, it's like, people, come see the stuff. Yeah. I guess maybe it's like they didn't let Jonas out on his own. I don't know. I, I that is yeah. definitely a plot hole that they should have explored more of actually showing Jonas being able to go outside. I know. It's like, if he had lasted more than one season, would they have, like, let him get an apartment in town? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I understand Tilk because of the whole gold thing on his forehead thing. And sometimes the way he speaks and the things he does are very like, you are not from this planet. But Jonas could easily be from, like, bumfuck Alaska, you know, yeah. and suddenly he's in Colorado Springs. Big, who knows, you know? Can totally fit into somebody from Portland. <laughs> <laughs> Just a weird dude that likes to ask yeah. questions and knows yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Anyway, um, so Sam's looking at, like, the readouts that she's getting on her laptop, and she notices a discrepancy in the readings. And so Palin explains sort of the acceptable variation in the sort of the power output readings. And she's like, yeah, these readings are well outside that. And he pulls up the readings from that morning and is like, no, everything's fine. And she's like, no, no. it's not. This is wrong. And he's like, well, th- you know, this is all foreign. This is not in your local language. And uh, there's some learning curve here. And she's like, "I sure, but it's easy enough to recognize a relative drop in what the readings say. If you're, look- if you're looking at a graph, whatever the language of the labels of the graph are, it's easy to see when the graph is very different from what it was hours ago. Right. So Palin's like, I have access to hundreds of years of readings, and they've all been well within the expected parameters. And so Sam's like, okay, fine. Again, okay, let's go with that. But if the readings are off from what they should be, would that indicate something might be going wrong with the dome? And he's like, maybe, but that's never happened. His whole attitude is, oh, you just, yeah, no, look at you, you trying to do sciencey things. You silly alien. It's, yeah, no, this is fine. <laughs> uh, Tilk, uh, Jack and Tilk are heading back towards the mouth when Kendrick comes running up to them and he's heard about the offer for relocation and he wants to take Nevin and go with them because he's, you know, seen how Nevin is with Jack and realized that he wants his son to grow up in the place with like a real sky and real clouds and like actual real environment and stuff. And Jack's like, sure, great. Fine with us. <laughs> I mean, the attitude was good enough for me. Let's go. Yep. Let's do it. <laughs> yep. Uh, back down in the control room, Sam radios up to Jack and she's been looking at the readings and has found something interesting. But before she can get into any detail, Tilk interrupts because the map is missing. Like it should have been parked where it was and it's not there anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's not the only bad news because Sam's like the power readings on the dome as they are now compared to what she took when they first arrived are at a massive discrepancy. Sure, that discrepancy is 4%, but it, when that's for something like this dome and how big it is and what it does, that's a lot. Yeah, that's good. Scale-wise. So she's like, the dome is failing. There's no way to know how long it will last, but once it does fail, everybody's going to die. So not good. Not, no, very much no. not, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, down in the control room, the computers do that thing they did earlier where they go black and computer code starts scrolling across it. And up in the archive, Avala suddenly, like, spaces out, walks out the door. Daniel's like, Avala, hey? And it's like she's either ignoring him or she can't hear him. And Sam also radios up that there's some new information and the power is definitely dropping. And it's like, shouldn't we tell someone? And Sam's like, I don't know if anybody would believe us because Palin doesn't seem to be able to see that these readings are changing. She like she doesn't think Palin's in on it, but she seems pretty convinced that this link is somehow altering everybody's memories. Yeah. Daniel's still following Avala as she walks through the town and like calling her name and she just keeps walking. She walks through like in this narrow sort of passage, turns a corner, and when Daniel catches up, she's not there. And there doesn't seem to be anywhere for her to have gone. He tries this one door, it's locked, it won't open. There's this like solid brick wall at the back, but that's like the edge of the dome. And it's like, where did she go? And we don't know. SG-1 are now gathered in Palin's home, catching up on, like, what's been going on. Daniel explaining what happened with Avala and Sam explaining, like, what's going on with the dome and the link. And they're like, can the link be disabled? And she's like, not without possibly bringing down the dome as well, because it's all part of the same computer system. But maybe Sam can get in there and change the information that the link is sending out. But that would be difficult to do without Palin's help. Daniel wants to keep digging through the archive and see if there's something concrete there that would contradict what the link is telling these people, like perhaps the fact that there were indeed four people on the council at one point. Okay, so Sam, Daniel, go do that. Jack and Tilk are late for their check-in with the SGC. Jack and Tilk start walking back toward Kendrick's house so they can get their hazmat suits because the map is now outside the dome and as they're heading that way nevin runs up and is like where are you going the house is this way and they're like no it's no that way other way and nevin nevin's like no that way is the edge of the dome just come with me i'll show you and so he leads them to a different house and in that house are their hazmat suits but this is not the house they slept in last night that's weird right though that like all of their stuff is there though they did talk about that in the commentary. Martin's like, the link just made them move all their stuff. Oh. <laughs> okay. And also, if you notice, there's no pictures anywhere. Yeah, I did notice everything was kind yeah. of bare. Yeah, like there's no photos of anybody. There's no paintings, nothing like that. So No record and these of pe- people. Right. And these people seem to live a fairly Spartan lifestyle. So getting them to move clothes and stuff from one house to another probably not that big of a deal yeah, yeah. Hmm. 
Um, so Kendrick then comes in and he's like, what are you doing? And Jack said, don't worry, we're not leaving. We'll be back. We just need to send a message back to the SGC. And Kendrick's confused because, you know, Jack was like, don't worry, we'll come back for you. And Kendrick's like, why would we want to leave? And they're like, be- because you said you wanted to leave? He and he's like, yes. and he's like, no, I didn't. And Jack turns to Nevin and Nevin and says, you want to be an explorer, right? And no, Nevin's going to be a gardener like his father. And it's like, okay, those neural links, you need to take them off because something wrong is going with that. And Kendrick suddenly says, like, removing the link would be instant death. That's new. Yes, that's not something. That has ever been said before. And we've seen several people remove their links with no problems. Yeah. And Kendrick's like, I think it's time for you to go. Yeah. So we then cut to Sam sort of like walking through the square and Jack radius to her to watch her back because something is going on. Yep. So Sam heads back down to the control room to talk to Palin and she brings up the changing power levels. And he's still like, the data's fine. I don't know what you're talking about. And she tries to tell him that every time the computer makes changes, it also updates the data that's being transmitted transmitted via the link. He, of course, does not believe her. She keeps pushing, though. And like she's like, if you don't listen, the dome's going to fail, and you and Ivala and everyone you know are going to die. And he's like, who's Ooh. Ivala? Yeah. And she's like, your no. wife? And he's like, I've never been married. And it's like, what like that's a what are you talking big about? that's huge huge crazy pants yes we have a quick cut then back to daniel who seems to have finally spotted something in the records to prove that things are amiss here on this planet mm-hmm. so sam's still trying to convince palin that what she's saying is true and like she knows it sounds ridiculous but the computer is changing the data and then updating the link so that no one knows anything has changed. He's out. He's now also on the whole removing the link would be suicide song and dance. And just like this conversation between them is very frustrating. And he's like, Mm -hmm. and then Daniel comes in, he's got it because as he says, thank God for the lawyers. Cause Like, when people were moving over to the link, they still wrote everything down because he found the original contract from when the dome was first being constructed. And when it was first activated, there were over 100,000 people there. And Palin's like, the dome's not big enough for that many people. Well, it isn't now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Sam starts connecting the pieces the dome has been compensating for the dwindling power by shrinking. It's not just going to suddenly like fail one day. It has actually been shrinking. Like the mouth didn't move. It's just outside the dome. So, okay. If there were a hundred thousand people here, where's everybody else now? And there's this beat. And then it's just like, Oh God. Oh crap. Oh no. We see Jack and Tilk outside the dome heading towards the map and they find some human remains that were apparently not there before. And amongst the remains and like the bones of the skeleton are one of the neural link devices. 
I just, I do have to say, like, I know Sam said the atmosphere was very toxic and stuff, but if we're supposed to think that that's, like, the councilwoman or Avala, like, how is it a skeleton already? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. I Well, I mean, I didn't really put, assume in my head that it was necessarily one of them. I put together okay. in my head that it was, it was the Lynx doing... For whoever it was. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wish they had gone with the idea of when they figure out that the dome is shrinking, having having them notice that there's a lot more buildings outside. Like they should have been in a town. Yes. Pretty much that, miles before they got to the dome. Yeah, that is something I did see when I was looking at like things people had said about this is like especially like that next day like the stone buildings should still mostly be there yeah yeah for sure it would have made it so much more delightfully creepy too yes it's if it wasn't creepy enough mm-hmm. more creepy <laughs> so sam and daniel are still working on convincing palin and he's like, you're lying. Everything's fine. You, you can see he's actually, like, really scared. And they did talk about this in the commentary a bit, where even their emotions are being controlled by the Neuralink to some extent. But, like, this sort of information he's getting from Sam and Daniel and his emotions about things, it's just, it's too quick. And the Neuralink can't compensate and try and convince him that everything is fine. So we're actually finally seeing emotions from one of these townspeople for the first time here. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. interesting. And like, he's just like, like this whole thing is just so strange. Like this is, this doesn't make any sense to him. But as Daniel points out, the documents are in their language. They're over 400 years old. Why would they, SG-1, have any reason to lie about any of this? Mm-hmm. True. And then Sam's like, you know, the whole purpose of this computer is to keep the community safe. And it seems that, unfortunately, that meant at some point that some people had to be sacrificed for the greater good. And we see Sam then reach up to try and take Palin's Neuralink off. And he's like, no, oh, my God, no. But he like he doesn't really stop her. And she manages to get it off. And like, he's still alive. Everything's fine. So they need his help. Yep. Oopsie. A bit later, Jack and Tilk are back in the village, and Sam tells them about Palin is working on updating the link, and Jack's like, great, we're going to come to you. So Palin's typing away at the console. The computer then goes to another update, and he's like, what I do? And she's, Sam's like, you didn't do anything. This is just what happens. And we see up in the village, everyone does that, like, staring off into space thing. When they snap out of it, Nevin asks his dad if Jack is sick. And Kendrick's like, he is, but they'll make him better. Mm-hmm. Jack and Tilk reach the village square, and it's completely deserted. And again, just like, so weary, so creepy. So, oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. Okay. Uh, down in the control, control room, Palin is nervous. Like, he's not really comfortable doing this without the link to guide him through everything. Sam's sure he's got this. He's been doing this his whole life. He can do this. So he's like, all right, gets down to it. 
up in the village, Jack and Tilk are being pursued by several groups of the villagers. They keep getting blocked and eventually end up in the same alleyway that Avala disappeared down, but the edge of the dome is now much closer than it was before. They draw their weapons and prepare to defend themselves, and Kendrick holds out two of the neural link devices, and if they put those on, they'll be fine. And Jack's like, Sam, and any time now, please. Just help, yep. please. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Palin's in. He's got it. So, like, what does he do now? Sam's like, there's too much to explain. Let me sum up. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Sam suggests just erasing all memory of SG-1 ever having been there. Back up, and Jack and Tilk are still being very slowly advanced on, and it's very creepy. And then suddenly everybody stops, stare off in a trance. And when they come to, Kendra kind of looks around and then asks Jack, who are you? Because Palin did it! Yay! Yay! Success! Yay! Uh, Cut to sometime later, we see several townspeople in hazmat suits and various SG personnel now on the planet. Sam and Palin are there, and apparently what happened here was that the thermal vents started cooling about 200 years ago, and that's when the dome started shrinking. Luckily, they should have everyone relocated in a few days. So, for the most part, everybody's fine. There is then a rather sort of sad and wistful moment where Palin laments his inability to mourn someone whose face he can't even remember, but maybe Sam can help by telling him about Ivala. No. I thought that was end. a really good ending. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. You know what I find strange, though, is, okay, so they figure out what went wrong with the dome and when it started shrinking. But did you find it odd that there was no record of the dome being like, I'm broken, you need to fix me? <laughs> Instead, it was like, oh, I'll just figure this out on my own thing. Well... I mean, I guess it depends on how the computer was originally coded. Mm-hmm. Like, if it if the computer was coded to maintain this society, it would do whatever it needed to do to maintain this society, not maintain this size, you know? Maybe. Because there's a difference between keeping these people alive and staying as big but- as you are. But what people, if it decides it needs to sacrifice a few for the whole? I I can't imagine that they would have programmed it unless it was really, really bad programming. Uh, <laughs> they would have programmed it to not alert anyone that it was having any sort of issues. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that weird. is weird. The whole, hey, these power yeah. readings are weird. Instead of telling somebody, hey, these power readings are weird, they just update and say, these power readings are what they've always been. Yeah. It's fine. We're fine. You're all fine. It's fine. We're fine. Yeah. You're fine. It's all fine. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's a little Possibly a little bit. <laughs> they didn't anticipate being picked apart, but it seems weird. A little bit, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. So there, I don't know, as I was looking through like commentary about this episode, I saw an interesting thing on the Gateworld forum where somebody says that this episode is basically like the opposite of the Matrix. 
because like in the matrix people were living out their real lives in a virtual world and in this people are living virtual lives in a real world because of what the computer is doing to them and the fact that it's a dome and it's a fake environment and everything Hmm. i was like that's fascinating that is fascinating yeah a little bit of stretch though I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the episode title revisions. Obviously, that's what the computer is doing with its information and the memories of people. Mm -hmm. We do have a few interesting, fun foreign territory titles. Oh. In French, this was called the network. Oh. Okay. In Hungarian, it was called repairs. Okay. And in German. It was called The Power of Memory. Oh, I actually really like that. <laughs> I do, too. I'm like, oh, the Germans maybe actually got it right this time. It wasn't they're all being brainwashed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not this time. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I like it. I kind of like it. Okay. So what do we think overall? Do we like this episode? I mean, I like it. It's Generally, I did really like it. It does lend to uh, some really interesting discussion pieces. It also mm-hmm. does lend to, if you perk it apart too much, some really big plot holes. But on the whole, I really liked it. Yeah. And I think I agree with Michael in the sense that I do like these like these one-off, these singular episodes where it's just, this is the story. Nothing bigger is going on. Like, this yeah. is it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. You can find us on threads and Instagram at SG underscore rewatch and discord. You can find the link in the show notes, or you can send us an email at woo. That's W O O S G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for lifeboat. Bye. Bye.